I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I have to not be afraid of what's going to come at me because I know she's going to sue me. I know she is. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but I knew it would happen, and then I would have to deal with it when it did. Heidi Haudela was around 30 years old when she took a job as a stylist with Simonson's Salon and Spa in Minneapolis. Simonson's had a good name. Um, I knew it had been in business a long time. Really, I loved it there. Um, At that point, it was a really good fit for me. When she took the job, like many others in hairstyling, Heidi had to sign a non-compete agreement, limiting where she could work if she ever left. But also like many others, she didn't give it much thought, because at the time, she never thought she would leave. Because you're so excited. I think what it is is you're so excited about the job, and, the you know, you just aren't, you're like, I'm going to be here forever. It doesn't matter because I'm going to work here forever. I mean, I assumed that I was going to be there till the end of my career. Heidi thought she'd be working at the salon forever. But what happens when, a few years later, Heidi changes her mind? When she decides she wants to take her skills and experience and found her own company? Will Heidi's employer go after her in court? This week on Uncommon Law, Part two of our series on the Federal Trade Commission's proposed nationwide ban on non-compete agreements. We'll look at one business in Minnesota to see how non-competes often play out in the real world. And we'll find out what happens when employees leave the business and try to strike out on their own. In the early days, things were good. Heidi says the owner was friendly and everything had a casual, fun vibe to it. After a while, management asked its workers to sign some new agreements, expanding the scope of the non-compete. We needed to sign the new non-compete, which was, you know, it was pretty significant as far as, you know, we couldn't work within 10 miles of any of their locations, which, you know, the way the locations were spread out, it was like impossible to find a place that wasn't going to be within 10 miles. It was a new zone of non-compete, spreading out in a 10-mile radius from each of Simonson's three locations. Imagine a map of the Twin Cities. Now imagine, overlaid onto that map, three overlapping circles, each one 20 miles in diameter, where, if she left, Heidi wouldn't be able to get a job doing hair for a full year. In exchange for signing the new agreement, Heidi would get a one-time payment of $500. Simonson's attorney had told management it was, quote, not advisable to keep anyone on the team who didn't sign. Heidi says she thought about running the agreement by a lawyer, but she felt pressured to sign quickly. And so she did. Were you worried when you signed it that this is going to affect your future career prospects? I just really didn't think about it that way. Again, I still thought that I would be here till the end of my career. So I just thought, well, I'll take the good with the bad and hopefully it will never be an issue. But after a few more years, it became an issue. Staff had turned over and one of the new employees... She just was a bully. That's the best word I have for it. She literally would make fun of people every day for what they were wearing. 
she just was like a black cloud and nobody could handle it. Nobody could stand her. And so it just made things just disgusting every day. Things just really got almost miserable. I wanted to think of any reason not to go to work. Simonson's owner, who we'll hear from in a bit, says she has no idea what Heidi is talking about. As far as she's aware, there were no bullying incidents. In any case, after years of working for somebody else, Heidi wanted to run her own business. She wanted to work for herself. That way, in addition to getting away from what she considered a miserable work life, she figured she'd be able to make a lot more money. At Simonson's, she was bringing in a little over $1,000 a week, but she had to pay a big chunk of that to the company. Half of everything I'm bringing into the salon. Heidi wanted to leave, but she worried that if she did, she would be sued. Yeah, I mean, that was just always the buzz. It was always like, I don't think anybody can leave here because Kyle will sue you. And I'm like, well, there's a point where that's fine because I can't be unhappy for the rest of my career. I needed that freedom and I knew it was going to cost me in the end. Heidi Hautala and millions like her is the kind of person that the FTC is really worried about. The FTC says that non-compete agreements are exploitative and coercive, both when an employee signs it and again when the employee tries to leave. You would expect non-competes for executives for highly paid technical workers, not not low-wage workers. This is Evan Starr. My name is Evan Starr, and I am an associate professor in the Department of Management and Organization at the Robert H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. In the FTC's 200-page proposal, Starr's name appears 64 times, largely because his work fleshed out some important facts about how common these agreements are, especially, surprisingly, for lower-income workers. Low-wage workers are super likely to be bound by these things, and that's because 30% of firms use non-compete agreements with all of their workers. And of course, if you think about a given firm, there's, there tends to be a bit of a pyramid structure where there's only a few top managers, but there's lots of mid-level and lower-level workers. The median worker bound by a non-compete is not some highly paid tech worker. It's actually an hourly paid worker who earns at the median $14 an hour. Through the research of Star and others, we know a lot more about non-competes today than we did a few years ago. For example, looking at nationally representative survey data for more than 11,000 workers, Star has found that only one out of 10 workers bargains over a non-compete clause. Fewer than one out of 10 ever consults a lawyer about it. And the vast majority, near 90 percent, believe that if they had refused to sign the non-compete clause, they wouldn't have been hired. A few years ago, Starr set out to determine the impact of non-compete agreements on workers' wages. In 2008, the state of Oregon banned non-competes for hourly workers, so Starr was able to compare their wages before and after. And the results were clear. Hourly workers in Oregon, their earnings tend to rise by about 3% on average, but there's sort of an uptick, and it takes a while for the law to kick in. And this is important because the law was not retroactive. It's only new contracts that are affected. And so after about five years, earnings increase is about 5% in terms of wages. Job mobility rises by about 11%. Most of that increase is driven by job moves that stayed within the same industry. Workers were able to move into new, better-paying jobs, or workers got an offer from a competitor and used that offer as leverage to get a raise. These were the kinds of findings that the FTC cited to justify their proposal. 
by banning low-wage non-compete agreements, which again covered roughly two-thirds of the Oregon workforce. Workers' wages rose, their job mobility rose, and people were able to move into better jobs. And there are other benefits to banning non-competes. The FTC has received thousands of comments from the public, most of whom make the expected arguments about higher wages and greater job mobility, but some of the comments are shocking. Non-compete clauses are being used to abuse workers, one man wrote. My sister-in-law was sexually assaulted at work, but was stuck in the job due to having signed a non-compete. She is a single mother and could not afford to be out of work, so she had to stay in a dangerous and abusive job run by criminals. It's easy to focus on the wage outcomes because those are easy to measure. But the truth is that if you want to stay in your industry and you have a non-compete agreement, anything bad that happens at work, it could be sexual harassment, it could be discrimination, it could be wage theft, it could be any other lesser things, a bad culture, a new management comes in that you don't like, that under-resources you. The non-compete agreement takes away your ability to threaten to leave with your feet. And what other recourse do you have to get management to change? A bad work culture, a new co-worker that made her life miserable, and stagnant wages? Heidi Hautala says she faced all of these things. And so, after 10 years at Simonson's, she decided one day that, non-compete or not, she was done. I was going on vacation, and I had already planned to leave. That whole week, I had taken, like, bags of stuff out of there when I was leaving, and I knew I was leaving. And I had written a letter, a really nice letter, actually, left it with the front desk. I'm like, this is my letter of resignation. I'm like, make sure Kyle gets it. I said, you know, great working with you gals or whatever. And then I was just, I was done. Where did you go on vacation? I went on our, a Caribbean cruise. It was literally the best thing ever. I was definitely needed the vacation. And I think back about that day and I was like, that was the best day. It was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders, you know? I got a call when I was on vacation from one of the girls that I worked with, Janelle, and she called me and she's like, Heidi, oh my gosh. They're like searching through all your stuff. They're like, you know, they're realizing all your stuff is gone. And she goes, they're freaking out. And I was like, good. I was like, good. They can suck it. Like, I'm so done with this place. Heidi rented a suite in the salon space a couple miles away. She called her business Hair Affair on Maine. Maine, like a lion's mane. She set up social media accounts, and even though she knew her old boss was probably going to sue her, she still wanted to try to keep the new business under wraps. So Heidi Hautala became Heidi Lynn. I knew that she would try to find everything out about me, and I just thought it was going to be the best thing. So, like, on Facebook, I'm Heidi Lynn. Um, I did that to avoid my last name because I didn't want her to find me <laughs> on social media and, like, accuse me of taking my clients that way and all of that. So, yeah, that's kind of when I adopted Heidi Lynn. Heidi says she didn't actively solicit Simonson's customers, but she did tell them she was leaving. And some of those clients eventually found their way to Hair Affair. They figured it out. I mean, they figured out my, I mean, my information, they emailed me. I mean, it's not like you have to work hard these days. It's social media um, and everything else. I mean, they figured it out really quick. 
And the clients aren't going there for Simon since they're going there for the stylist. So even if you don't go out of your way to tell them, I'm leaving, here's my new place, here's my new contact info, they've developed a relationship with you, they like the way you do their hair, they're going to find you. And is that allowed? I mean, it should be allowed. Like my clients all said to me, like, she's not going to tell me what I can or can't do. She doesn't own me. Heidi says that in the weeks after she started her new business, an associate of Kylie Simonson came snooping around. She was like searching for me and she was asking people questions like, hey, I'm looking for the person that owns that studio right there. Do you know where she is? And she'd like come in incognito with like her sunglasses and like her hats because she came in essentially trying to take pictures of me, like the paparazzi. And she took a picture of us. And I'll never forget the look on our faces. We're just like, you know, deer in the headlights, basically. Well, apparently she shared that to everybody at the salon. It's like she wanted to get the evidence that I had my own business now. We checked with Simonsons. And sure enough, they say that at the advice of counsel, they sent someone in to get a picture of Heidi at her new salon space. They also took a picture of Heidi's car in the parking lot. Heidi isn't the only one who's run up against the Simonsons' non-compete clause. I've seen them drive to locations to see if cars were there of the former employees, so they go to a new salon to see, is that person working there? This is Emily Olson, the former Simonsons employee we heard from in episode one. She says that after she was promoted at Simonsons from a stylist to a member of the management team, she saw firsthand how the company would go looking to make sure its employees weren't breaching the non-compete. There was phone records subpoenaed, Facebook records subpoenaed, to make sure that these girls weren't soliciting. Emily worked as regional director, overseeing all of Simonson's locations. It was in that position that she got a sort of macro-level view of all the employees who wanted to leave but couldn't. It was hard to watch girls not want to be there, but they're helpless. And knowing I was a part of the executive team, it was it just didn't sit right with me. Emily, who wanted to spend time with her new daughter, eventually left the company. But she was too scared to go right into another hairstyling job. Oh my God, I was so terrified. Terrified of what? The power behind her. Emily says that soon after she left the company, she received a letter even before she had found a new job, reminding her of her promise not to compete. I remember getting served my cease and desist, holding my newborn daughter and thinking that this just can't, this can't be right, this can't be fair. How can she get away with this? As Emily tried to figure out how to support herself without doing hair, the bills kept piling up. She says that to pay those bills, she ended up selling her house and cashing out her 401k. Eventually, she took a job with a company that sold products to other salons. But the terms of her non-compete left her confused. Was her new work too similar to what she had been doing as an executive with Simonsons? I am going to be using that knowledge, some of the knowledge that I gained as an executive, to try and help with my sales with these salons. So is that something where I'm going to get sued for that? You know, what kind of jobs can I have? What can't I have? 
Emily kept wondering, would the owner, Kylie Simonson, come after her for what she was doing at her new job? Part of my job, too, was helping the business run sales or promotions. And some of this stuff is stuff that I learned over the years, and some is stuff that was taught to me. At Simonson's? Yes, yes. And so you just wonder, okay, what is proprietary information? What is all included in that? Emily waited to see whether she'd soon be facing a lawsuit. She says the stress contributed to a breakup with the father of her child. Our relationship fell apart because I was constantly looking over my shoulder. She's coming, I know it, I've heard all the stories. And yet, Emily missed working as a stylist. So, after about a year... I decided that I was going to chance it. An attorney advised her that since it had been a year, and since Emily hadn't solicited any of her old clients, Simonson's probably wouldn't come after her. They didn't, and she was able to continue her career at a new salon. The same cannot be said for Heidi Hautala, who, as you'll recall, immediately began a new job in hair care right down the street. One day, about a month into her new life at Hair Affair on Main, Heidi was with a client when there was a knock on the door. And I'm like, can I help you? And he's like, yes, I'm looking for Heidi. And I'm like, yes, I'm Heidi. And he's like, well, here you go. I have, you know, um, you're being sued. And I was like, well, how exciting. Heidi was being sued by Simonson's salon and spa for violation of her non-compete agreement. Simonson's was seeking an injunction, demanding that Heidi shut her business down until the case could be decided at trial. Simonson's was also asking a judge to award the business more than $50,000 to cover lost profits. When we return, we'll find out how a judge decides whether a non-compete agreement is reasonable. And we'll talk with Kylie Simonson about her decision to go after Heidi. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. Whether it's the marriage or you're playing a game of Monopoly, there are rules and you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I sleep well at night, you know? The difference between missed opportunity and actionable intelligence. For in-house attorneys who strive to provide superior counsel and strategic advice, Bloomberg Law offers an unmatched platform of analytics tools and business intelligence. All to help improve productivity, mitigate risk, and inform decision-making. For the comprehensive platform that helps you work smarter and faster, the difference is Bloomberg Law. Kylie Simonson has been in the beauty industry since 1983. It wasn't entirely her decision. Her husband, a hairdresser, purchased a salon. And while he was a fabulous hairdresser, he was not such a good businessman. So I kind of had to come in, step in with the limited skills I had at that time to help him out. Kylie quit her job as an administrative assistant to a bank vice president to help run the business. And she learned everything she could about the hairstyling industry. You know, I read a lot of trade industry publications. I am self-taught. 
I sort of uh, wear a badge of honor for that because I've actually been everywhere from answering the phones up to being the CEO and president. With Kylie's help, Simonson Salon and Spa became pretty successful. From a zip code analysis of her customers, she saw that a lot of people were driving in from Maple Grove, Minnesota, about 10 miles away. So that kind of fueled my desire for expansion. We continued our quest to expand our business throughout the northwest suburb area of Minneapolis. In the very beginning, Simonson's didn't make its employees sign a non-compete. But throughout the 80s, something kept happening that made Simonson's change the way they were doing business. We experienced this expensive and demoralizing scenario on multiple occasions. We would hire somebody, mentor and train them, provide them with clients that were garnered as a good result of our good name, reputation, and marketing efforts, you know, only to lose them to unscrupulous owners who would woo them away for the promise of a higher commission if they brought their book of business. Kylie says it costs a lot of money to train and mentor the new employees. So when they quickly leave to go to a competitor, it's a major blow to the bottom line. We've been able to monetize what the average cost to onboard and train an associate at Simonson's, and it's approximately $25,000. And no profits are realized for about 18 months from that. Wait, wait a second. So you're saying it costs you $25,000 to train a new hairdresser and you don't see any profit from them until they've been with you for a year and a half? Yes, right. Wow. So, you know, due to that onerous time and cost commitments, um, in the absence of an employment agreement, making this kind of sizable investment would be an untenable proposition. So Kylie had her lawyer draft up an employment agreement with a non-solicitation clause and a non-compete clause. We didn't do it lightly. It was really based upon an intrinsic need that we had if we were going to survive the dog-eat-dog kind of environment that, unfortunately, our industry has a reputation for. That's why Heidi Hadula found herself on the defendant's end of a lawsuit enforcing that employment agreement. And that's where the courts had to get involved. Our last season was all about big constitutional questions and whether the 14th Amendment lets colleges take race into account or whether that violates people's right to equal protection under the law. But this dispute, this has nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. This is a basic bread and butter common law legal issue. Kylie was suing Heidi for breach of contract. This may be as common law as it gets. Breach of contract, yes. Breach of the restrictive covenant in her employment agreement. This is Heidi's attorney, Chris Penwell. Uh, my name's Chris Penwell. I'm an attorney with the Siegel Brill Law Firm in downtown Minneapolis. Chris has spent nearly 40 years specializing in non-compete agreements, most of that time representing employers. But for the last five or six years, he's focused on employees. In the last few years, I've talked to employees who are mostly coming to me, not having paid much attention to what they signed and wondering what they got themselves into and are they going to be able to move into a new position that they want to take. 
Within days of the start of the lawsuit, Simonsons asked the judge for a temporary restraining order. A temporary restraining order hearing is very much like a preview of the case that will eventually be heard. It very much is. In fact, one of the things the judge has to decide at that stage is the likelihood of the employer ultimately succeeding on the merits of the claim. The judge asks, is it likely that Simonsons will win this case? So obviously the judge starts by looking at the restrictive covenants. The restrictive covenant, the non-compete clause, says Heidi can't work as a stylist within 10 miles from any Simonsons location. But everyone knows she is. They can can suck it. it. Like, I'm so done with this place. So there wasn't really a question of whether she was violating it or not. Heidi is violating the terms of the non-compete agreement. So the question then becomes, is the non-compete enforceable? To determine this, the judge does a kind of balancing test. First, he looks at whether Simonsons has a legitimate business interest in preventing a former employee from working within that distance for that time period. The restriction has to be as narrow as possible to protect that legitimate business interest. And then the judge asks, okay, assuming this restriction is enforced, how badly will Heidi be harmed? If Heidi was prevented from working as a hairstylist within that 10-mile radius, that's the balancing. Those are the competing concerns that the judge analyzed. Heidi's lawyer argued that if the non-compete agreement were enforced, she would have to relocate and start her career over. Simonson's argued that they had an interest in preventing their former employee from working nearby. The salon spent a lot of money promoting the brand and training their stylists, and they said that they stood to lose business unfairly if an employee were to just take that training and promotion and strike out on their own. The judge looked to state precedent, and in a similar case, Salon 2000, the Minnesota Court of Appeals had found that, quote, because stylists are in a position to develop a close relationship with the salon's customers, its non-compete agreement is necessary for the protection of its business. The non-compete in that case was also for 10 miles and one year. So, in the end, the judge found in favor of Simonson's. Heidi would have to stop working. You know, people are very particular about who does their hair. And so there's a pretty strong loyalty bond between a hairstylist and that hairstylist customers. And the argument or the reasoning is that that's not fair to the employer who has paid the stylist to develop those relationships to let that stylist leave and take all those customers with them and in essence take a portion of the company's goodwill with them to work somewhere else. Do you personally have a strong connection to your hairstylist and would you follow them around if they went to another business? You know, I I use the same guy. The guy I used to use retired maybe five years ago and I've been going to his replacement for five years. You know, do I have that strong of a bond? It's convenient, it's right next to my work. I, I don't know, not particularly. I will say that my wife is extremely loyal to her hairstylist. You know, she has her hair colored. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for talking out of school about my wife's hair. But she would drive some distance to do that. How far would you drive? Not very far. 
And essentially, my attorney was like, you know, we can keep going on this lawsuit. You know, we can keep going. Otherwise, we can settle. And I was like, well, it was intimidating. I just, I don't like lawsuits. I mean, who does? And I just really wanted the freedom to be able to work. So Heidi settled the lawsuit. She was able to keep her business, but as part of the settlement, she agreed to move it to a different location, about 10 miles from the one Simonson's location she worked at. She also had to pay up. Simonson's agreed to a settlement of $6,000 paid in four installments, plus she had to pay her lawyer. Yeah, who I'm still paying off to this day. And that's been already eight years ago, so that's crazy. Heidi's attorney fee was $5,000, and her lawyer has been generous about repayment. He told me that she's paying what she can as she's able. Heidi still runs Hair Affair on Maine. It has great reviews online, and she likes her job. But she still fumes about that lawsuit and about what she calls the gall of Kylie Simonson in claiming that the clients were there for the Simonsons' experience as opposed to the Heidi experience. I'm the one that has kept these clients coming here, you know, for 10 years. I am the reason these people are coming. Like, how can you think that you can take that away from me? To me, that seems crazy, that you think you can monopolize this industry because of your name. Yeah, it was very maddening, obviously very frustrating, Kylie Simonson says they've tried to track the number of customers who leave when a stylist departs. And there is a drop-off. When a stylist leaves, about half of her customers also leave. But a lot of those customers return to Simonson's within the year. Kylie Simonson says she doesn't go after everyone who violates the non-compete agreement. When people are respectful and approach her to explain the situation, she tries to work something out. We have a handful of people that have actually said, here's what I want to do. Would you support me in this? And they go far enough away that even if they were to take their customers and their customers want to drive that far, we're not going to do anything about it. We have negotiated with people who wanted to leave, weren't going to solicit their current client base, and have left as a friend. But Heidi? She didn't leave as a friend. She just left without any notice. That, Kylie says, is why she took Heidi to court. I think the sheer audacity of violating an agreement within just a few miles made it seem like you really needed to protect the good of the whole by making an example out of somebody that just violates their agreement. We don't do this having any glee. In fact, it's a very emotional and it's a very expensive thing to engage in, but um, it's sometimes a necessary evil. If the FTC gets its way, Simonson's non-compete agreement would be illegal. That clause in the Simonson's employment contract would simply become void. Anyone who works there could leave and work for a competitor or start their own business immediately with no consequences. And surprisingly, 
Kylie Simonson says she's okay with that, as long as the non-solicitation agreement can stay in place. I 100% would be on board with agreements that just ban the solicitation and the servicing of the customers that were garnered at the business because of the business's good name, reputation, and yes, they're satisfied with that individual's performance as a technician. I think that solves really what the heart of the issue is. If somebody wants to go across the street and work, and for a year they don't see the guests that they saw here, I think that's fair. While the FTC is considering a nationwide ban, state legislatures are continuing to take matters into their own hands. A couple of months after our interview with Kylie, state lawmakers in Minnesota, where Simonson's is based, passed a bill that would ban most non-competes throughout the state. The governor has said he'll sign the bill, meaning this summer, Minnesota will become the fourth state in the country to largely ban the practice. But importantly, the ban will not be retroactive, so anyone currently under a non-compete will still have to abide by it. Next time on Uncommon Law, supporters of a nationwide ban say it's not just about helping individuals thrive in their careers. A ban could also have a major impact on society and the economy at large. If you want to see a world without non-competes, they say, just look to Silicon Valley. Once Silicon Valley discovers that they can't stop people from talking to each other and don't really want to, and they can't stop people from changing jobs and don't really want to, when they begin to understand that you've basically created a huge externality, you get Silicon Valley. Could a national non-compete ban supercharge innovation? That's next time on Uncommon Law. Uncommon Law is produced and hosted by me, Matthew Schwartz. I also did the mixing and sound design for this episode. If you liked this show, please tell a friend and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Uncommon Law was edited by Josh Block, who is the executive producer for digital here at Bloomberg Industry Group. Thank you also to Andrew Satter for his help on the script. Our cover art is by Jonathan Hortarte. And an additional thank you to Tom Taylor, Cheska Antonelli, and Joelle Meyer. See you next time.